Hey guys, welcome back to Two Broke Twimbos, and we've got another episode of Mental Wellness Mondays, and we have another incredible guest all the way from South Africa. We have uh, Casey Blake, who is a registered counselor with a special interest in the sexual well-being, gender trauma, and sexuality and relationship education. And she has created tools for having the talks, which is a series of workshops and online courses to assist parents and caregivers in having conversations about bodies, boundaries, and sexuality. Where were you when I was a teenager? That's all I want to know. I know, right? <laughs> I was probably a teenager myself. I am not a day over 21. What do you mean? You were about oh, to glint so your sweet. father's eye. <laughs> all right. Um, I think first off, right from the bat, it would be so interesting to know uh, what prompted you to get into uh, this field of, uh, you know, the interest in, in how to have the talks with young people. What prompted you to get into that? There's so many different versions of this answer, um, but I think we'll go with the, the light one, which is no one had a good talk with me. Um, my sex ed at school was look how much water a tampon can hold, which already scared me. Um, mm and made no sense because uh, have you seen how big those get with water? That's not what menstrual fluid is. Um, so I had, my parents were fairly progressive. So we've always been using like accurate terminology. They didn't know that vulva was a word. So in my home growing up, it was penis and vagina. Um, but for those of you who think that that's what it is, the vagina is the canal that um, tampons, fingers, penises, toys, babies, move in and out of. And the vulva is what you see when you look in the mirror. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I had a puberty book when I was in primary school, which I read thoroughly and uh, never got back from my friends because we were all so desperate for information. It just went around the school. Um, yeah, I've always been pretty easy talking about sex. Um, I think I used to get a kick out of making people uncomfortable and and maybe I still do, but not nearly as much as I did as a teenager. Um, so it just made sense that if I can talk about sex so easily um, and I want to be in the helping healing profession, why not become a sexologist? So went to the universities and in South Africa, there is no legitimate way to become a sexologist. You have to become a psychologist, a nurse, a social worker, or a medical doctor, or it's a counselor. So you have to be like in the mental health field or the medical field. And once you're registered there, you can specialize um, in sexology. So actually the later this year, I'm going to Europe to do the European Society of Sexual Medicine's school. So I can write their exam to be a certified psychosexologist next year. Um, so that's a very quick little 10 year journey. Oh, wow. Congra More congratulations. Than that. And all the best. All the best. Thanks. I'd offer to help, but I know nothing. I'm, my, my knowledge has not grown since high school, which is why we have here. We're just trying to get free, free advice. <laughs> <laughs> is it for us, Phil, or for children? That's the question here. I think that is obviously very interesting because most people would feel uncomfortable at the thought of having those kind of conversations with children, which obviously isn't a good thing because where else are the children supposed to learn it from? Right. Um, yeah. Maybe a good place to start is how would you help people get over that feeling of this is uncomfortable. This is a difficult conversation to have. How would you help someone get over that feeling? Yeah. 
Think about the conversations you're not having because maybe somewhere in some kind of tangent, it might lead to a question about sex. Like everything that happens around kids' bodies often doesn't get spoken about in case one day there's a question about sex. So we kind of leave that part of their bodies unspoken and they know. We all knew that there was something about our genitals because they were either like, have you washed everything else? And what about your um, vagina? So there's always that like gap that indicates to children. So start by just talking about the body and basic bodily functions. Don't think about it as the sex talk. It's called tools for having the talks. And at one stage it was said, yes, plural at the end of that, because there's so many conversations that we need as foundations before we can actually talk about sex. So we need to know about bodies. How do they work? How do we navigate um, relationships within families where there are power dynamics you know, so bodily autonomy is a thing. But if so many parents, you know, we all do our best until we know better and then we try to implement that. So your body is your own, but go hang, hug Auntie Joe because Auntie Joe's will be sad if you don't. And how that violates consent and the messaging around consent and how within our family cultures, in so many family cultures, I think most, we unintentionally create spaces for abusive relationships later on. So if we just talk about converse, like just basic conversations about bodies, what does it feel like? What's changing? What's going to change? This is normal. Um, everyone's body is different. Talking about how you feel when Auntie Joe kisses you, but you know, it always leaves your cheek wet. Do you like that? Don't you like that? You know, how do we help you navigate these situations so that when it's later on, um, in an intimate space, you're used to navigating rejection and navigating how to move your own body in space. It's not like, oh my goodness, now's my first, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to navigate this. And also helping if we're going with a gender binary, helping men know that they can say no. Um, because so many men and boys grow up believing that they're not allowed to say no because that's not manly. Mm. I think first of all, Auntie Joe is banned from all family gatherings. <laughs> Second of all, um, how have you found... I assume you mainly have these conversations with parents, right? Yes. How have you found parents, like what is the major obstacle that most of them face when trying to have these conversations? What's the biggest block that they have? Other parents. What will they think if my child has accurate language? What will they think if my child um, tells them no? Mm. Interesting. Are they going, is the the community going to be curious and cautious more than curious about letting our children play together? If my children know what a penis and a vulva is. Mm. So the biggest block is other parents. Yeah. I do find that interesting because even as as you relate that, um, there's, there's obviously a lot of common ground with, with my upbringing, but then I also remember there was a time when, when we were kids, we all used to bath together. And then suddenly we stopped. And then it was like, wait, but last week now it's bad. I'm so confused. And we never really got an explanation about stuff like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of parents message me and say like, when is it the right time to stop bathing with my child? And I always say, when one of you doesn't want to anymore, Mm. you know, there's no age rule. It's about comfort levels. You know, so as we get older, our bodies start to change. 
And I think by in adults' attempts not to sexualize us, they leave out these conversations, making us feel quite sexualized because it must be because I'm maturing that this is stopped, but there's no conversation about it. Mm. I I even remember like w- w- with cousins, like when, when especially like during the holidays, like a lot of cousins would come over and we'd all be in the tub and then we we, we weren't anymore. And yeah, it was, it was, it was just a, a very weird thing that I actually have never given any thought until now. I think I'm going to call my cousin and be like, yo, let's take a shower. It's like, yo, why did we stop on our 16th birthday? That was just weird. You know what I mean? By the way. (laughs) (laughs) Let me address the elephant in the room. Oh, yeah? There's only one? Oh, there's multiple. But... Please allow me. I'm speaking as a a devil's advocate, if you will. People have often called African societies conservative. Mm -hmm. It's not proper. It's not right to have certain conversations in public. For some parents, the fear may be certain words, phrases, concepts being raised in public is very bad form. Um, how how have you dealt with that from people who have a very traditional mindset or conservative mindset? And the elephant that I'm referring to is, I would imagine there's probably very different mindsets from certain parts of Cape Town as they are to, you know, other places. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, my, my workshops moved online with COVID. So I've got people from all over the country and even a few African countries have been joining us, which has been pretty awesome. So, so you know. Um, you know. Um, but so when we, let's, let's take it back. Why is it inappropriate for public conversation? Um, because it makes people uncomfortable. Why does it make people uncomfortable? Because we don't know what's age appropriate for children. Because we don't know what's age appropriate for children, we don't have any conversations with them which means they get all their content like we did from our peers. Now there's the internet. The internet wasn't a thing when I was growing up. So um, I only got introduced to the internet in varsity. That's how old I am or young, depending who you are. Um, And that most of that stuff is inaccurate. And because it's inaccurate and it's the only stuff we've got, we don't have space to make sense of it. So we have inaccurate conversations and we have inaccurate conversations with our friends, Um, And then we go into our worlds not knowing much. The problem is this creates the perfect playground for predators. Because if we can't talk about things, who do we tell? No one. Yeah. Mm. Mm. If we can't talk about things, anything that is spoken about gets shamed. So when someone tries to come and tell you something, you know how many adults have told me, that they did tell their parents and they weren't believed. And if they were believed, they were blamed. You must have done something to make them think this was okay to make, you must have invited it somehow. So that's what happens. So the irony is everything we do as society, or maybe as parents, because I don't trust society as much as I trust parents' intentions. Um, everything we do as parents is to protect, prevent the very thing that we're laying the groundwork for. Mm. Mm. By not being open. 
by not having, yeah, by cutting off conversations, by giving subtle or not so subtle clues that you are not okay to have this conversation. So who is the young person going to talk to? Because if they, if they know you're not into it, you get angry, you shut it off. You say, we'll talk about it later. And I've been waiting for later for years now. When am I old enough? Because you said when I'm older and I'm now 16 and I'm now 18 and I'm now 21. And now you're too uncomfortable and I'm too uncomfortable. And how do we navigate this? Mm. I, I remember when I was uh, young and, you know, first beginning to have these kind of thoughts and conversations with friends, the idea or thought of having that conversation with my parents was like, oh, ah, and, and I know I, I remember some, you know, awkward kind of <laughs> young men, <laughs> you know, tell me more about, uh, you know, are you noticing girls at school, you know, like, no, we can't know, Ew. you know what I mean? So do children want to have these conversations with their parents? It depends on the relationship. So the problem is we start at a, the, what we perceive as the right age to have these conversations. But if you come to my workshops for parents of nursery school children, so your kids are in kindergarten, we can have age appropriate conversations so that this stuff is a normal conversation. It's not this one off awkward the family the parents are awkward you're like i already know everything you're going to tell me what is this i can't wait to get out the room so we have start conversations that are those adjacent to sex conversations that i mentioned earlier so like mm. why do penises get hard you know kids are asking this all the time especially if they're the ones with the penis mm. and we pretty just give a functional answer why do you think it gets hard for so it's when your brain gets cold and the cold transfers i know cold, this quite well cold. yes this is the result of inaccurate and incomplete uh, sex education what? <laughs> this explains this explains why it happens in winter oh, okay you see, when you wake up in the morning because of the cold, and it's also because it's this cold, right? <laughs> yes, and and it's also witches, witches that use you in the middle of the night, and then they don't finish when Man, you wake she up. Just George stands <laughs> in you, bro. I, know. <laughs> oh. I watched you. George Costanza. It's it's, it's it's a famous a episode of of, of Seinfeld where there was shrinkage. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay, um, let's, let, okay. Before before Dan derails us with his silliness, I actually do. Have, we're on a very serious tangent that I I don't want to get lost on this path. Which is you mentioned there that failure to have these conversations with children opens them up to abuse, and mm-hmm. I'm sure any 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 sane concerned parent or even just a member of society with a modicum of decency is horrified at that thought. Even like when you said, I, was, I could feel my chest and like, Oh dang. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's probably some, one of the most valuable things because um, I'll get onto why I actually reached out to you because there was a question related to, but this is actually um, a lot more pertinent. If you're a parent of a young child, um, both girl and or boy or, or, um, any anything any any gender in between how can you start laying the groundwork to have the a healthy relationship with sex or conversations around sex with them and ensure that you're protecting this child from abuse and in the future being an abuser 
we have conversations about consent. So in my bio, you wrote, you spoke about boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm changing that in my branding going forward when I get around to it, to peer pressure, because people don't know what boundaries are, is what I've discovered over the last nine years of running these workshops. Um, is that even the parents are like boundaries. What is that? That's, that's, that's rules and saying no, but boundaries are actually about personal space. It's about bodily autonomy, which means I should get to decide what happens to my body and who gets to interact with it and how. Even when going to the doctor, do kids know why they're at the doctor? Does the doctor talk to you, the parent, or do they have the conversation with the actual body and person that they're examining? Does the child know why you are doing what you're doing? You know, by including children in conversations about their own bodies, about and being willing to upset the apple cart in the family because Auntie Joe won't go away easily. Um, there is always more Auntie Joes than there are Casey's who are like, okay, cool, you don't want to hug. Awesome. I noticed you, we greeted, I'm happy. Mm. You know, so we have to start working with our children's support spaces. So our family systems, the people they spend time with, and being like, look, if my kid says no, we're trying to teach them that we hear them. So like, if it's not a yes, in terms of can we hug? And yes, isn't verbal always. It's when the kid comes running to you. That's a yes, right? When it, when someone reaches out, it's always an invitation. Have you had that awkward moment where you're like, oh, are they asking for a hug or a handshake? And then you do that weird like shoulder. That in itself is actually a consent negotiation. Mm. Without any words, you're going, I want to hug you, but I don't think you want to hug me. So should we navigate down to a hand? This is quite awkward for both of us, but it seems safer than what was going to happen. That interaction is a consent interaction, mm. right? But encouraging those things, those kinds of interactions so that children know that they are allowed to make other people upset, not to hurt them because the difference in saying, I don't want to hug you because you smell, right? Because some family members who are elderly, um, they're, you know, Body odor and incontinence makes bodies, you know, uncomfortable for children. Auntie Joe. So, mm. Yeah. So we don't want to hurt people's feelings. But if your no hurts people's feelings, that's also fine. So we don't say mean things, but their feelings are not your responsibility unless you actively hurt them. And saying no is never actively hurting other people. Mm. But they're going to say it is. Mm. Mm. There's also a very common thing in, in many communities, mine included, where kids are warned against certain adults. So there's like an untold secret that certain adults are not quite safe, but the kids aren't warned why. Just don't, you know, be careful around that person. The whole community knows about that person and yet no one's doing anything about that person. Mm. How do we help our children be heard if they say to that person, I'm not going to, my mom says, I don't have to talk to you. My uncle says, I don't have to talk to you. And I'm going to go tell them that you didn't hear my no. We have to be willing to believe that community leaders have done the things that our children have said they've done. That your family members have done the things that your children said they've done. Mm. That's one thing that's always said very, uh, said very wrong with me when parents refuse to believe, you know, accusations, like even, even if it's hard to believe, like imagine the damage, you know, 
But mm. from a parent's perspective, it's difficult. You've just been told that your best friend, who you've trusted, has been violating your child. That is a lot for you to process, right? Mm. And it's often there's like the stranger danger myth. Sure, stranger danger is a very, very small possibility. But all the worldwide statistics into, into this kind of stuff has said it's people we know. They're often trusted people by the family or the community, mm. which is why we don't believe children, because that person's so nice to me. How could they do that to you? Understanding that the Casey you're with is not the Casey who everybody experiences. Just because you have a good experience with me doesn't mean somebody doesn't. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm. So to, to synthesize, obviously um, there's a lot of value in your workshops and we, and we don't want you to just transfer all the information from your workshops here, but it's just not for possible. Honest, They're 12 hours. <laughs> it's a four day workshop for three hours each workshop. So it is not possible for us to do that here. Kids, kids, <laughs> your kids are so, there's so much time and money and there's so many kids. Wow. Um, yeah, so just as, yeah, as, as precious, a brief protocol, yeah. um, what can parents do? Let's say they, 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 they're they very conservative. This podcast has hit them over the head and they're like, whoa, I didn't realize it was I, I was making these mistakes. What can they begin to do now um, to start laying the groundwork so that their kids are safe or their kids are able start, to communicate? Yeah. Start inviting your kids' information into your world. Start watching the programs that they're watching. Start looking at the TikToks, show interest in their world and ask them to explain it to you. What's going on in that TikTok? Why is that thing funny on Instagram? Mm -hmm. You know, in, be interested in their world. Ask them and say, you know, this is really awkward for me, but I was listening to the strange podcast and they said, you know, that there's so many different names for genitals. Like in this house, we call it a willy. What other names have you heard? And they're going to be all awkward with you. But if you can hold the space and say, I'm serious, like I'm not going to punish you for having information because that's what we often do. We often punish children for their information. So they pretend they don't have it. So invite their information in mm. and start with the very far adjacent stuff like body words. Um, you know, I'm constantly learning from my young adults, like new words for stuff. And I'm always like, hold on, hold on. What do you mean by vibing? Because that could mean so many different things. And just getting used to clarifying stuff with your kids where you put them as actually having knowledge. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, I think that that's a solid piece of advice. Um, so I think, um, I think maybe we can move on to, to the question that um, had me looking for you because this person was distraught. Um, by the way, sorry, Casey, in case you or any of our listeners don't know, we invite our listeners to send in questions anonymously that we then put in front of professionals. So if you would like to be one of those people to brooktombos.com forward slash help, we'll find a professional to answer your question, but please go ahead, Phil. Thank you, Dan. So this listener is a mother, uh, to a, a young teen boy at about 14 years old. Um, Recently, she went through his phone where she discovered um, some nudes from a, another young lady of a similar age. 
And she had no idea what to do because she hadn't had the, the sex conversation with him. Um, the, the, there's more detail to it, but I, I don't think it'll be fair to share it online because it might be very personally identifiable. Mm-hmm. But um, to put it briefly, the, 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 not only was this woman sending these images, but she was, um, say pretty much branding herself with this guy's name. And this threw the mother for a complete loop. She was like, I can't like, first and foremost, like stage one is the nudes. How did we get to the nudes? Then how is this young boy convincing these girls to do these things, which are, you know, essentially calling, calling, calling this 14 year old boy, daddy. And she just doesn't know where to begin. Um, With the work you do, how would you advise someone in such a situation? First of all, admit it. Like, Mm. I found your phone and I don't even know where to start this conversation, but I really want us to start having many of them because we're going to get overwhelmed and we're going to walk away in five minutes. And hopefully in a few days' time, we could come back and continue. And you as the parent must come back back and continue. Remember when I said earlier, they say later, but later never happens. Mm-hmm. So I often say to, to people that I work with, if you're the one who pressed pause, you should be the one to press play. So if you've mm-hmm. paused a conversation, you need to come back to it. Don't make the kids beg you. But if your kids have paused it, you are allowed to say, I'm open to, like, I'm open to having this again. I would love you to press play. I am going to be awkward as anything, but I'd love you to press play. And just own that. Own that. What are you worried about? Are you worried that your child is a perpetrator and is violating other people's consent? Are you worried that your child is following a social script from school and doesn't actually know what they're asking for and what the implications are? Have you spoken about what happens if pictures get shared? Because that is child pornography. And in Mm -hmm. many different places that can be persecuted. So what do we do if children are the creators and the distributors of child porn. So there's a lot of stuff to like think about. I don't think we need to do any punishing stuff. I don't think that's ever going to be helpful. I think we can ask them questions and we can say, I'm really worried about X, Y, and Z. Can you help me understand? And, and they might not believe that they're not going to get punished because that's what often when we are overwhelmed as adults, we act out and we punish children for making us feel certain things. Mm. So we have to start working on our relationships where we can say, I'm going to get quite like excited and passionate and probably quite angry, but I'm not, I'm not trying to punish you. I'm trying to understand, which is why we're going to walk away, calm down, come back, have a continue. Um, There are lots of, So we have to also look at the gendered assumptions. We don't know if he's the one asking this as the pressurizer or if she's the one pressurizing him because the pressure and to the peer pressure to be part of these, these interactions comes from all over. It comes from all genders. It's not necessarily gendered. Um, I think young people are trying to explore their sexuality. And I think if we had picture phones in our days, we would have done the same. Um, mm. you know, so, I mean, I was sexting when I was a 14 year old, 15 year old. I had no <gasps> idea what I was doing. Casey, no. 
Yeah. I mean, if I think back to those words, I had no idea what the words meant. How could I? I was throwing words like clitoris around because I knew what it was in theory, but I had no idea what it was. Mm. Um, You know, so I was sexting people without even knowing what words I was using. I just knew that they were sexy words. Mm. Mm. Well, well, Mm. as we all know, that's a mythical creature that no one has ever seen or found. So that's fine. I don't have a comeback for that, except I'm really sorry for any partner you've ever had. <laughs> if you're enough. heterosexual. That's good enough. That's good enough. I think it's also worth, uh, one of the things I was going to ask earlier on was the level of conversation you'd have depending on the, on the age of the child. For example, I noticed in the course that you have, you have different, uh, different courses for, uh, you know, younger children and teenagers and so on. So with someone who's 14, would you feel that you could have a full adult conversation? Like there's no need for us to, to leave anything out of this conversation or are we still waiting until? I think the longer you wait, the harder it is. So if, if you're not going to be able to access my workshops and my online course, you can find the guidelines for sexuality education internationally. So the United Nations has published them. Um, the latest ones are 2018, but there's also some stuff from sex ed out of school from also United Nations published in the last couple of years. So there are guidelines available to you for free that tell you by this age, you know, children should be able to have access to this kind of information, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we have the conversation? We still acknowledge that they're children, but not empty slates that we can put information onto. We have to acknowledge that they've got information. So the first thing is to start with the basics, regardless of how old the kid is. If, and regardless, if you've never had these conversations, you have to start at the basics because that's how you make everyone more comfortable. If you go straight in for the sex talk, first of all, that's the last conversation we have in the workshop. The last thing we talk about is sex. There are four safe workshops. Sex. Safe sex is the last. Sa- safe sex and sex. Mm-hmm. Those are the last things we talk about. There is so much more. Yeah. There's so much more to sex and relationships than talking about penis into vagina. What if your child is not straight? What if they're not cisgender? What what's gonna happen? How do you we have to just acknowledge them as people first? We have to find out who they are and what they know. Mm. So yeah. No, I think that that's an important thing. First thing is making sure you have the conversations because the longer you wait, the harder it is. Um, I was also going to say like with the work you're doing with kids, I'm looking back to when I was 14 and I was discovering a lot about sex from GQ, Maxim. There was another weird magazine. I forget its name, but. Oh. I was reading Cosmo. Cosmo had lots that's, of tips that are actually so unhelpful. I was also so a, very, a very diligent reader of Cosmo. The, the listicles. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading Home and Gardening. Gardening. I believe you. Oh, home and Gardening. And your family. <laughs> Reader's Digest. That's what I was reading. <laughs> but I also want to just add here, because a lot of people feel in... <laughs> while Phil gets himself off the floor. Um, a lot of people will feel invisibilized by the current conversation we just had because we just made the assumption, and I was part of that assumption, that everybody is allosexual, meaning everybody is has a sexual attraction to another person. 
There are lots of people who are asexual. That doesn't mean that they don't have sex or enjoy sexual activities. They just don't have sexual attraction to other people, right? Um, so there are a lot of people who grew up reading Reader's Digest because that was just what they were interested in. Um Popular you know, National Geographic. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, guys. Uh, wow. Ooh, Dan, we're getting pwned on our own show. It's, 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 it's not pretty. It's not pretty. <laughs> she said you look like you're making my <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> Seriousness. Seriousness. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. So. Um. When children are, I, oh, this is the question I want to ask. Sorry, I've gathered my thoughts now. With your experience, um, as I was saying, like when we were teens, we were we, we, we were thirsty for that information and it was very hard to come by it. Mm-hmm. It's now a lot easier to come across this information. I, I remember I was, I was watching the, um, the show Good Boy, the, the movie Good Boys a couple of days ago. And it talks about these kids in sixth grade and they're trying to figure out about sex and they just Google and they quickly end up on a porn, in a porn rabbit hole. Um, how are kids, if they aren't being informed at home, how are they getting this information and how damaging is it because there's access to all this content on the internet now? So that stuff on the internet is all out of context, Mm. right? But if you don't know it's out of context, you think it's everything, right? The problem with incomplete information is you don't know it's incomplete if you don't know what else is being withheld from you. So if kids are learning about sex from porn, they are not learning much because they're watching entertainment. Like we all know that dragons, you know, unfortunately are not real. So Game of Thrones is great to watch, but we know it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. We need to help people understand that everything that's made for entertainment is fantasy. Those, that's not what sex looks like unless you have, you know, act mainstream stuff, free stuff is not what sex looks like. Have you ever seen consent ever negotiated in the porn you've consumed? Mm. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I wouldn't we, we, know. we gave her the pizza. I mean, like, okay, I guess. Yeah. Uh. Right? Are there, are, there, are there like any people who like are laughing? Because, you know, sex is funny. Things happen. You know, sounds are funny. Everybody farts during sex, no matter how hard you try not to. We never <laughs> see that stuff in porn. <laughs> <laughs> So we so we don't have to talk about sexually explicit material in terms of porn. We can start Mm. talking about the relationships we see online, the relationships we see in the media we watch together as a family, on the movies we watch, in the series we're watching. We can talk about like who which character do you think had the most fun in that scene, whether it was bowling or, you know, sitting down for an awkward dinner with the family, you know, those stereotypical scenes. Like, who do you think had the most fun? Who do you think had the worst time? Why do you think that? Let's unpack dynamics that happen between people outside of sex and talk about the fact that whatever you see on TV, whether it's your screen, whatever screen you're using, um, whatever you're seeing there is not always real. It's often made for entertainment and they leave a whole lot of stuff out. We very seldom see people on the toilet unless it's a comedic 
elements, you know? So mm. there are so many people who have sexual pain um, and pelvic pain because they are terrified of people hearing them go to the toilet. Mm. And they create like muscle, muscular issues because they're convinced that, you know, you shouldn't make a noise when you pee or when you poo. Mm. Like with your mouth or. Like the body. sound of things hitting the water. Oh, you that, know? No, that's why you always and, put a layer of toilet paper. I usually just put like a layer and then that cushions it. Hmm? Cushioning. Why? I, I remember. Yeah, How else why? Get it clean? Let it, let it splash so that it also cleans. <laughs> So anyway, but it doesn't yes. always, but I want to like, just before we move on from this, when I was a teenager, I used to un, um, peel my pads at home so that people in the bathroom couldn't hear me opening my pad. Oh, so yes. Still, I remember doing that. Right. Why are we yes. so ashamed that our bodies work? Yes. Like if you're not making a wee at least a couple times a day, something's wrong. If you're not yeah. going on a, at least once or twice a day, something's wrong. Why are mm-hmm. we ashamed that our bodies function? You know, these kinds of conversations are really important. And yes, they're part of the sexuality education that I teach because mm. we have to figure out bodies. Can you see how like we outside of me, like mocking the two of you, um, I haven't actually spoken much about sex. Mm. Well, which yeah. tracks considering who we are as people <laughs> it makes sense <laughs> self-deprecating humor Phil needs to be addressed as well <laughs> <laughs> okay um I, I think I think I think you've covered most of the the, the immediate questions I have one, which one, is- one last question I have and I think it's oh. a reality that many people have either experienced as the child or dread to experience as the parent. And that's the, the mom, dad, I'm pregnant or mom, dad, I got someone pregnant conversation. I think uh, I've, I've actually spoken to several people who that was the last time they interacted with their parents. They were literally kicked out. I know at least one person that that was, that was, you know, her life literally the moment she got pregnant as a teenager she was kicked out. She had to figure out her own way and so on. And I think there's so many parents who react to that in such a, uh, very shocked and almost violent way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We can pretend that kicking someone out of home is almost violent. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's violent. I mean, there's others who are almost violent. Yeah. It might not be that, but also have, you know, mm. all manner of emotions almost up to that point. Um, I would love to hear the advice that you would give for parents who may have to face that reality one day. So I think the first thing is don't have a violent reaction. If you're able to, you can say, I need a moment. I might need a day. Can we talk about this tomorrow? Because I'm having all kinds of stuff and it might be my stuff. And I don't need you to hold that stuff. It's mine because parents go through, did I fail? How did this happen? How could I not protect them? How, 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 how? And sometimes parents don't have those conversations with themselves. They go, what kind of a disrespectful slut have I got? And that's very seldom the case. So deal with your own stuff. The next day, have conversations about, okay, so what now? What are the options? What would you like to do? 
Don't tell them what their options are. Ask them what their options are and fill in the gaps, you know. So do you want to carry this child to term? Do you want to terminate the pregnancy? What would, I mean, luckily in South Africa, termination of pregnancy has been legal for nearly 30 years. Mm. Um, Just not yeah. always accessible, but legal. Mm. Um, so, you know, what are the options? What do you want to do? Do you want to carry this to term? Do you want to continue with school? How are you going to support? Do you need our support? How do you imagine that happening? Like literally, what do you want? Was this intended? If it's not intended, what do we do? If it is intended, what do we do? Because I've had so many friends and clients who their parents found out they were having sex when they were telling the parents they were pregnant, mm. whether they were teens or in their 20s. So I think we also have to acknowledge that these conversations are vital because children are curious and the more we withhold, the more they look for information. My sexual debut was because I wanted to know what this whole fuss was about. Was I disappointed that nothing changed? I mean, in addition to the disappointment that I was lucky that my first sexual debut was only disappointing, but at least it was consensual. You know, I was like, Where's the fireworks? How come I have more fun on my own at home? You know? And also, nothing's changed. Can people mm. see anything? Because we talk about this thing that it changes you. I was really disappointed. And I was like, why are people lying that this thing is so amazing and so life-changing? Like, honestly, the ad break wasn't even finished. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> and, and also to whoever she's talking about, we're, we're sorry too, you know. It happens, you know. Sometimes you're you nervous. Did. You know, there's a lot of pressure in society. I mean, know, it's just, you know. Look, so much is expected of you and you didn't have the talk. I yeah. mean, yeah, so sorry. Okay. Also, we have wow. to acknowledge that if children of young people are on contraception, contraception failure is a real thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there are ways to make condoms more eff like effective, including lubrication. That was never taught at school for me. Lube makes condoms better. The wetter, the better is there for a reason. But make sure you're not using oil-based lube. So if you've got access to like oils, don't think that's going to help your condoms because mm -hmm. that's how condoms break. If they're dry or they've got the wrong lube. Mm -hmm. These conversations are vital. Also, condoms are much more pleasurable with lube. Wetter the better. Every kind of interaction that's sexual is better with wetter. Um, mm. You know, the pull isn't 100%. Condoms aren't 100%. IUDs aren't 100%. Nothing's 100%. So we have to acknowledge that sometimes they take all the precautions they've got access to and they still might fall pregnant. Okay. Hmm. Really good. I to think about now. I'm just nervous. Why are you nervous for that film? <laughs> you don't know. I could have the goodies. These conversations are so important because it really enhances body positivity, right? And, um, you know, I don't know how it is for boys, but I know for girls, it's quite awkward when people make comments, you know, oh, your boobs are growing or whatever it is that's happening. And But if you've never had those conversations with your parents, you become super um 
mm. self-conscious about your your body but you so you know starting to have these conversations early is really good i really appreciate mm. that thank yeah, you that is true i though. think there's so much pressure if your body's not changing fast enough Mm. If your body yeah. changes too fast. And the thing is that adults sexualize us. Adults yeah. sexualize boys when they start getting taller. Adults sexualize girls when their bodies start changing. And we, we sexualize children without thinking about it. Mm. We heterosexualize children from the moment we do these terrible gender reveals. Mm. Because we make the assumption that the person who is being born is going to love blue, be a boy, and be into girls. Yeah. We plan children's life before they're even born. Which is why parents get so disappointed and angry and upset when their child comes and says, look, there's a pregnancy here. Yeah. Because that wasn't part of our fantasy that we had planned when we had the party, Mm. you know? (laughs) Yeah, you're very right. I think, I think as has been the the motif of this general episode, I, I think I'll end it with an embarrassing story that also speaks to how lacking sexual advice I was when I was a kid. So I was in seventh grade. My body was changing, you know. The voice was starting to break. And, you know, things were happening. And I was called up to, to answer a math problem. And as I'm sure you might know, when a young boy is, you know, developing some hormones, certain things tend to come to attention uncontrollably. <laughs> um, We've learned that we need to use the correct words for things here. Please say what you mean. My penis had a raging erection, Dan. I was pitching a tent like I was going camping. Is that good enough for you? Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. But Thanks I, for had, I, had no, I had no understanding of what was going on. I had no resources. So I figured if I whistled, I it it would not it would distract people and it would stop and they wouldn't notice the the tent pitching and we just focus on me solving the problem. It did not work. Yeah, I was made fun of that whole term. Oh, they roasted me. <laughs> oh, I love the story. Thank you so much, Phil. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because it is so, so many layers to it. And I'm not going to break down the layers, but I am mm-hmm. going to say in the very first workshop, we already start talking about puberty. Um, because we talk about if you have an erection and you don't want people to know, how do you navigate that? How do you have that conversation with the kid? Come up, how do they think you can navigate it? Does it help if you've got, you know, elastic bands in your underwear that you can pull the erection and tuck it under, you know, that's why pockets are very helpful, but like have these conversations. Why are pockets helpful? How do they help move an erection so that it's not pitching a tent? It's lying against your body. Mm-hmm. You know, these are practical conversations. What about people who are menstruating and they don't know it? Lots of people have erections and they don't know it. They only know that they've got an erection because people are laughing at them. Mm. Or they only know that they are menstruating or their whatever product they're using to manage their menstruation is uh, leaking because people comment and laugh at them. How embarrassing, mm. especially if it's not normalized. Yeah. I feel bad of making fun of people back in school now. Oh, what about you? You know, you know better now. Hmm? What was that, Philip? Said you're making fun of me this recording, Dan. <laughs> I don't feel bad about that now. <laughs> <laughs> but right. I think we make fun of people when we're kids because that's what's been, that's what we are showing. That's what's modeled to us. We don't know any other response. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. So we feel bad on it now because we're looking back with our skills that we've developed over the years. But when we were that age, at that point, we didn't have those skills. Mm. So we can feel bad about the stuff we did if it was unintentional. Mm. And we can acknowledge the stuff we did if it was intentional. Yeah. And hopefully we can help the young people in our world get a different response in their repertoire. Wonderful. I mean, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Casey. If there are parents that are listening, or maybe even Dan, you know, an adult who's realized they may have a few gaps in their knowledge, um, how can they get hold of you um, and, and take this conversation further? Cool. So there is an Instagram page, which is at Tools for Having the Talks. I know it's long. Um, there is a website, www.toolsforhavingthetalks.coza. There's a contact form on the website. There are DMs in my Tools for Having the Talks Instagram. I only respond if you're being appropriate. Um, yeah, those are the best ways to contact me. Um, I run a full-time practice. So I, um, I very normally take about a couple of days to respond as Phil knows, because I don't always have time to get to my, my DMs, but I do try. Um, engage with the content I put out there very seldomly, but I do. Um, and yeah, send your questions. Let's see what we can do and help, how to help you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Casey. This was illuminating and educational. Um, and hopefully it, yeah. Thank you it, it for helps. the invites. And it helps Thanks, Casey. Out there. And yes, of course, you can get hold of Dr. Uri. On the socials as well. Uh, socials as well. Oh, English has failed me. That's Sage Restorative and Dr. Nirai on Twitter. And of course, you can follow us, Two Broke Twimbos, twobrooktwimbos.com, Phil Chard, Danny, that guy. And let us know if you have any questions or feedback, or you can send us a, a private email at twobrooktwimbos.com forward slash help, and we'll be happy to forward it to the appropriate professionals or, or, or point you in the right direction. So, yeah, thank you so much.